Hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he's not going to be long anyway. You have found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Stick around. Hey, Internet, there is no rush. There is no worry. You found the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill, the best radio you can see, especially in these these times, these times, what's going on? Everything seems to be going faster and faster. There's the Delta variant that came out. Everyone freaked out, or did they? I don't know. Who'd you talk to? What do you find? How are you part of the Mad Christian Discord? That's one of the first questions I got to ask you, because that's where you got to go for that kind of news. That's not why we're here today. We're here today to put your head back into the straightness of the way of Jesus Christ while the madness spins around. If you want to talk about the madness, find the Mad Christian Discord. You look up us, the chill at Discord, or you can go to redfist.com slash newsletter get the mad christian mondays the best newsletter that you don't have yet i'm telling you you'll quit the internet and just read it after that but for today for today we're going to be building our way in the righteous way which is the knowledge of the risen man jesus christ which is just so easy so easy to forget about i think the hardest thing in my entire life right now, as I attempt to do a number of, of what I would call repentances, and not all of these are moral repentances, and in the entrepreneurial world, you call repentance a pivot, a pivot, okay? So, but, but I mean, there are pivots that go 180, and, and those are true repentances, right? And in the Bible, of course, the word repentance has to do with stopping to do, stop doing the wrong that you were doing. Well, that's why you would pivot, right? As it wasn't really serving you. you know, what's the difference between, say, wisdom and salvation? That's something for another time. What we want today is to get into the righteous way straight up, to realize that to be Christians in this age is to be on a completely different planet from everybody else who's living in this age. Because Christianity happened on this rock with these stones, with the air and the sun and the moon. And it's, it, I, I want to suggest to you that it is impossible. It is impossible to run around in supercharged vehicles, you know, with lightning in our hands and, and talking idols in every home. It is impossible to do that and honestly remember what kind of planet, what kind of nature, what kind of danger we're in until something like the current situation happens when it all collapses around you and everyone goes, what's going on? And it's like, well, sin sin is going on. What's, what's, what's sin? Don't push your moralism on me as if that isn't pushing a moralism. I mean, hilarious, right? But, but what's sin? This is one of the issues. The problem of sin is complicated, is it not? It's not as simple as just either or black or white. And you see this moment you study sin in the Old Testament where you find out there's like, there's like eight different words that get translated as sin in the New King James English, which is not inspired and inerrant. It's, it's, it's quite decent, especially for the times, but inspired and inerrant. No, not at all. Uh, and so what you have then is a covering of some of the Hebrew distinction of sin. And what you find when you go back further then is almost all sin was not moral initially. I mean, murder obviously was. You have the Ten Commandments. But there's a lot of other things that came about as distinctives, right? Distinctives in legal precedent that weren't just moral. They were more wise than moral. It was not about like, like uh, witch hunting and purging. It isn't about some sort of like you'd better or else It was more about like, hey, if we all keep doing that, we all die <laughs> in fire. Let's not. It's more like that, right? And so, well, what is that now? How do you even begin to talk about those things which if we all do together, we all die in fire? Let's not. How do you talk about that today? Does sin carry that? Does the word sin carry that? I don't think it does. Foolishness might, though. 
That's why, that's why I love so much about Solomon. You know, his, his vernacular, uh, his, his linguistics, uh, his language of the people is pretty good. It's really pretty good. Uh, much better than a lot of the platonic uh, Latin then derived um, categories we use. Plato just, I mean, not Plato, uh, Solomon has a way of cutting through it, right? So, so a fool. I think everyone can agree we don't want to be fools, right? Like, like even if you're on, do you think the Republicans and Democrats could, could agree? Like, is foolishness good? Can we get one of them to argue that foolishness is good? So they, just because the other one says foolishness is bad, right? I, I don't think anyone can really be against foolishness. And yet when you look at what the Bible says foolishness is, oh man, oh man, oh man, people against wisdom, people against wisdom. Oh, pity those people, pity the fool, you know, as, as uh, 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 Mr. T, Mr. T uh, was one to say. In these times, acknowledging the foolishness of people who drive around in, again, supercharged vehicles with lightning in their hands and talking idols in their homes and think it has no bearing whatsoever on what's happening to their bodies and their minds and their souls, their psychology. Uh, And then they wonder why they're anxious all the time and why they can't uh, catch up and and how it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, I'm not promising you a perfect life. I I certainly am not. Uh, This is a veil of tears and it's going to be suffering till the end. Well, till the end of this edge, right? Until Christ returns. But certainly uh, things do not have to be the way they are. If you are one of those uh, modern prey modern prey and not and not a predator yeah i mean let me just talk first article here right we're just talking like we live on this planet right like man's a predator straight i mean maybe he predates vegetables or something right I, i'm not sure if that's the right usage of the word uh, but but you know maybe he predatorizes uh, veggies i guess but like no like man's a predator <laughs> uh, he he goes out and he conquers his his region, his territory, as far as he can expand, he will go and he will reign. And this is what he's made to do. Uh, man's a predator. So if you're living as prey, if you feel like you're living as prey, then you're not living as a man. And ladies, I, I, you can understand the value of having a strong man in your life. I hope a good man, you know, a good, strong man, like you can understand that, right? Okay. So, so I'm talking to those guys, right? And I'm trying to encourage more of those guys in the world, right? I'm not trying to encourage that like girls get hated or nothing. I, I want girls to like have great guys. Yeah, I think that's good. And so what that means is then the guy has to realize he can't live as prey. He can't, he can't live as, as a weak man who is afraid. He must live as a strong man. Yeah. And, and by that, uh, be a king, uh, strong man, king, whatever you want to call it, ubermensch, someone who has the willpower to self-control. That, that's really all it comes down to. That's what Christianity promises you is the willpower to self-control. I mean, you can't fake it. You can't buy it. You can't come in and, and like say, I'm going to believe in Jesus just to get the willpower. Don't work that way. But the fact is the promises of Jesus Christ are self-control. That's one of the fruit of the spirit. And that will involve the will to not necessarily do. It's not about overcoming all obstacles and I can achieve. It's more about not being overcome. It's more about walking through the valleys, stepping on the thorns and saying, I'm still walking. You ain't going to stop me. It's more like that, right? It's more like that. So, 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 uh, to cease being prey, uh, to cease living in fear. Well, how can, how can a modern man do that? If you look at what's going on on the planet today, there is no reason why you should be confident about you living 40 more years. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Except, but now, that's my opinion outside of, I have this faith in Jesus Christ that, we'll just leave that aside for a second here, right? Because I'm just talking about like, like we're just going on the math right now. We're just going on like, how are humans doing with this stewarding, green, sustainable planet that, that was given to us, right? On, on the curve, you know, where are we on to the edge of like total nihilistic Mad Max destruction? 
I mean, I'm just some guy, right? And I just turned like 43. I, I don't have all the wisdom to see all powers and all futures, uh, but I just, I don't think it's sustainable, right? I really don't. And then you throw in this thing where I do believe in this God who judges sin that is foolishness by letting the fool throw himself into the fire. And I just see the fires coming. I think, golly, I just, I just, it looks pretty bad, doesn't it? Now it looks indeed as if God has withdrawn his hand from the entire universe. Uh, but then I step back and I, and I look out my back door. And I got a little lake behind me and, and I look at my back door at the lake and I remember, no, 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 no. God has not withdrawn his hand from the entire universe. This is where that Christianity part becomes pretty important, right? Uh, he, he has only withdrawn his hand uh, from, from the fool. And he has allowed the fool to live on the same planet as the wise. And this is for the good of the wise, that the wise might be shown true wisdom, uh, which is not yourself, right? But is Christ crucified for the sins of the entire world. Uh, and so that you might see that true wisdom, which in one way will be unseeable after he returns, because there will no longer be this veil of tears as the lens by which you can understand the magnificent depths and graces and glory of God. Since that won't be there anymore, this is the time for that gift to you. The cross. The actual cross, right? Like, like being connected to Jesus' cross filling up the measure of Christ's suffering, which is not about how Jesus didn't atone for us, as some would like argue nonsensically from the text, right? Uh, but is instead about the mystical union, the sanctifying mortification, right? Uh, the, the justifying new man who calls a thing what it is because it is what it is and because the scriptures are what they are and, and only a fool would quibble about what Jesus said. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so like, like, well, as the reign of fools declines around us, as it all falls apart, as everyone runs around as prey, let me tell you, you want to be a predator, don't be a fool. Join the sons of Solomon as soon as you possibly can. What do I mean by that? I mean, start praying the Psalms. And the sons of Solomon, as the absolute most important ecumenical prayer movement in the world today, period, is easy enough to get into. You don't even need to write anything down yet. Just remember Psalm 125.1. You got it? Psalm 125, one. Psalm 125, one. You got it yet? Those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Psalm 125, one. Okay, Psalm 125 is at the heart of your morning psalms. Every morning you say three psalms, 123, 125, 127. Kaboom. It is one power pack way to let Jesus Christ start your day. Let me tell you, insert the name Jesus Christ for the Jewish, the Lord that's in there. Not that we don't have the Lord in the New Testament. We certainly do. Who is the Lord? His name is Jesus Christ. That's the name by which all names shall be judged. So insert Jesus Christ into your psalmic prayers. Pray 123, 125, and 127 in the morning. Remember, 125, one is going to remind you how all this starts. All right? And then from there, in your afternoon, or before your afternoon, before you eat your lunch, you're going to pray Psalm 124 and Psalm 129. These are warfare. These are, it is the trenches. These are how you're going to remember that God's got a bigger plan for you than just this moment right now. And that this moment right now, nonetheless, is part of that, that great plan, right? For such that moment of suffering, you are here to self-control, which is indeed going to be moving you more and more toward charity, which, of course, these psalms are going to proclaim to you as you come home, as you come home in the evening with Psalm 126 and 128 that tell you about the glory of family and community and unity and neighborhood and all these things. And finally, before bed, Psalm 130 and Psalm 131, to remember that if the Lord's keeping 
keeping a record of this, we're all burning soon, right? Uh, but then nonetheless, our minds are not capable of what his are. And so in Christ, we rest. We rest trusting that we have put our hand to the plow. We have prepared our horse for battle, but the day the day belongs to Jesus Christ. And so in him we trust, we lay down to sleep, we die, we die, repentant, ending, having nothing. Someone could kill us in the moment. God can kill us in the night. And then we wake up, what? New day, new day, start again, 125-1. The sons of Solomon, an ecumenical prayer movement, any Christian in the world can adopt this immediately, and the men especially. If we all do, you think it's going to hurt us? How much worse do you think it can get? Goodness gracious, our best hope for unity is Rome? Really? Wow, we're in a lot of trouble, people. You've been praying? No. Okay. You worried a lot? Yeah. Okay. You know what helps with that? The Psalms. The Psalms. So there's nothing more important you can do right now than join that part of the Sons of Solomon. You want to be a true son of Solomon, you do got to be a man. You got to pray those Psalms. You got to carry a Bible everywhere you get to go. You got to carry a small prayer book everywhere you go with that Bible. Try to slip it in the back. Makes it easy. And you got to get yourself a crucifix. A crucifix. Because I'm going to tell you, I've been thinking about the crucifix a lot recently because of Sons of Solomon. Uh, you know, I wear one as a pastor, but I, I've I've kind of, I wanted to push myself a little more. So I've tried carrying a larger one around in public. And it certainly is, I mean, if you're trying to combat the I feel like prey feelings, that'll up it, right? That'll be like the training ground for that, definitely. Um, so carrying that larger crucifix around, you know, walking past people with, you know, pride t-shirts on and things, right? And so, you know, you're just trying to smile, be nice and be that guy with the crucifix, Uh it's caused me again to ponder quite a few things. And one of the things I asked is like, okay, so how is this not an idol? How is this piece of wood that I, I'm carrying and, and beginning to bond with? Like literally, I'm forming a, a focused attachment. You know, everything I need to know about preschool, I learned from Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that, you know, you can quote me on that one. Everything I should have learned in preschool, put it that way. Everything I should have learned in preschool, they taught me in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and so, you know, attuning to an object is something that you have to do with magical items in Dungeons and Dragons. And all that means is you can't pick up this really amazing thing and just know how to use it. Like it's a, even, even a vet like doesn't pick up something that's just amazing and unique and like know what they're doing. No matter what that is, right? You have to learn. There's a curve on everything. So attunement, a part of carrying a crucifix is actually attunement to the idea of something that's permanent in your life. Believe it or not, that's just a first article reality. Something that reminds you to prayer, and this is where it becomes a prayer focus. What it really is is a prayer focus. Uh, so uh, how is this not an idol? Because it is an object that you know is a created reality that r- r- almost can't be an idol. Almost can't. I mean, someone can do it. it we're, we're quite evil. But, but generally, you cannot idolize a crucifix. Um, and in, instead, what you will do is put something else around it, right, to, to idolize instead. But what the, the crucifix compels you to do is to see Jesus, you know, to see your sin. If you have any knowledge of this, to be sure, does this replace the preaching of the word? No, not at all. But as like a symbol in your life, there, there's nothing more mortifying, nothing more mortifying than every time you look at that crucifix. And yet the longer and the more often you would focus on that, the more you realize how much you've been putting your trust in everything else. It's quite a phenomenon. You know, it, it, so let me say it this way. If, if I had to put it all the way down, it's very difficult to like crucifixes if you're an idolater. I just put it like that. It's very difficult because what the crucifix does is it challenges your ideas of idolatry. You have to figure out what you're worshiping. You can't just sit there and like be like, oh, okay, like that's Jesus on the cross. Well, it's not. It's a piece of wood. Well, how's it not an idol? Well, I got to figure that out then, don't I? Yeah, um, I can't idolize this. And yet when you ask those questions, they begin to apply to the other parts of your life. And you might find out, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, here comes one of mine. Hold on. I worship it less these days, less, definitely less coffee, um, worship going on. 
Um, you can take it away from me. I'd have a headache. I'd survive. It'd be tough though. It'd be hard. See, and that's, that's kind of like, well, how much do you need? That's, that's maybe a bigger question. Point being, point being, right? So the crucifix is like a training ground on a number of levels. If you're a son of Solomon, it's a training ground for public predatoriness that you're just not going to be the prey no matter where you are because you know, well, what do you know, right? You know, Jesus is risen. You know, you are paid for, you know, that makes you immortal now. And you know that he's not going to be long anyway. You know, we can talk about the sacraments and how the washing and the feeding are there to bind that faith together. So we would never doubt instead of arguing about, you know, what they do, we just believe that he gave them to us to encourage us, which is what the texts always say they do. But anyway, a different thing, right? Um, you hold to that reality that you're immortal. You're immortal. You're not going to test God. You're not going to tempt God. You're not going to see if you can strike your foot against a stone and survive. But you're going to know you're not going to strike your foot against a stone except for that which pushes you into ascension, you know, into resurrection. And so with that confidence of an adopted son. Can you have it? Yes. If you're baptized, you're anointed, you're christened, you're literally christened. Christians, what the word means, little Christ, little king, little, little, little newborn, born again from the grave. Death cannot contain you, man. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Hmm? And the crucifix will teach you. It'll teach you what you're afraid of. Trying to carry one in public, that'll definitely teach you what you're afraid of. And let me tell you, it's a great reason to be part of the Sons of Solomon. I think I got through all of it. Oh, no, there's one more part. Every day you got to open that book of Proverbs somehow, some way. I don't care. One verse, one letter. Do something in Proverbs. That's what it takes to be a, a true first level, first level, the Sons of Solomon. But all of us getting on those prayers, let me tell you, let me tell you, for the life of the world. Ladies, there is a special set for you, Daughters of Wisdom. Um, uh, that is listed on the new Sons of Solomon. I believe it's .net. I believe it's .net. You know what's kind of fun? I said this somewhere else, I think. Uh, you may have heard this. That, that uh, Sons of Solomon, if you Google it, we're not, the movement's not cool enough yet. It's pretty deep, though. Um, but it's not cool enough yet to, like, pay for Google. <laughs> and so, as a result, it doesn't show up in Google searches right away. Uh, and so, you know, Sons of Solomon is actually a, a motorcycle king. So that's, that's not who we are. Um, but that's okay. They can have that name too. They can have that name too. As soon as they, I mean, once they hear and they learn, they're going to want to share, right? And so they'll like, they'll want us to ride motorcycles with them and they'll want to pray these Psalms, right? Is that how it works? Hey guys, if you're watching, please don't be mad at me. I'd really like to have that conversation. I'd like to convince you that this would be good for your organization. Uh, I'd be happy to also consult on your organization. I do that on the side on a number of levels. Anyway, um, that, just so you know, I'm not making light. Sons of Solomon does exist as a motorcycle group and I'm, I'm sure they're awesome. I have no idea what they actually do. What I do know is that this set of prayers prayed succinctly and repetitively with heart. That is, you're not just doing this so you may be heard because of your many words. Don't, don't even begin to think this is the prayer of Jabez. Just speak it and it gets better. This is not incantation. This is not magic. This is the wisdom from on high descending to spend time with you. When you pray the Psalms out loud, Jesus is spending time with you. Many Christians are out there running in the woods, singing songs, hoping that Jesus will spend time with them if they just shout louder. I mean, well, maybe we'll play the guitar more. I mean, I'm not against guitar. I have one. But like, like, really, that ain't it. It ain't it. The further you get from the actual words, the further you get from Christ. The Bible is not Christ. It is his witness. It is his testimony. You want to testify, you got to get that testimony going on. That New Testament is blood, which of course is what the, the food, that food that feeds you, right? Keeps you tight, keeps you close. Okay, what else do we got today? I want to, I want to do something with with this here. Let's see if we can make this work out. I'm gonna try going here like this, and then we're gonna come around here and reset this camera, uh, playing with the. So hey, you know what I said last week, 
Anyone can come by and watch. Here we go, live from my garage in Winnebago County. Um, we got someone coming next week, I believe, to come watch the show live. Isn't that sweet? So you're always welcome to come by. Look at this. Alien invasion. American idolatry. Okay, so here's what I really want to look at, though. Can I, I can't even see it. How do I look at this now? Oh, you know what? I just did all that with music, and you didn't even get to see it. Here it goes. There we go. <laughs> I, can we, like, cut the sound from earlier and, like, paste it over? It doesn't work live like that, does it? Alien invasion. American idolatry. Yeah, that, that, it worked. That was, good. that was good. Who did that really fast? That was amazing. All right, so this, this is really worth a lot of thought. This is the three estates, as Pastor Wolfmuller would talk about them. Uh, the three estates are an insight from Dr. Martin Luther that the orders of reality, the way, the way stuff is, the, the way that it works, uh, they can be broken down into three categories. It's, it's almost as if three is built into the universe, uh, as if there are three and they are one or something like that. Like th- that makes sense as an idea too, and I, I could definitely talk about that forever. But, but look, look, Luther saw it, and it showed up as he saw it in what he called the three estates, using, again, platonic language to try to describe something he saw in the Bible. Right? And, and from these three estates, you have, you have the, well, as he would call it, or as, as uh, Pastor Wolfinger would teach it, um, which is very good, uh, you have the church, uh, you have the government, and you have the, uh, the family. And that these three places of standing uh, these three ways or regions in which a man or a woman, a human operates, uh, that, that um, one must attend to all three of them. Right? You can't just have or, or try to be or operate with one of them. So if the family falls apart, the church and the state fall apart. If, if the state tries to do the job of the church, everything falls apart. Right? And so you have to understand the difference between, say, uh, the two swords— uh, sometimes two kingdoms talk, but it's, it's really not about two kingdoms. Uh, it's about three different categories, three different categories of, of life that we live together. We all live in family together, but not in each other's families, right? We all live uh, in our local church together, although it's a little fractured. We all live uh, in our local government together. Uh, and so these regions of community where they overlap, now, what, what I think is interesting now is I've been searching or I've been on the hunt for uh, terminology from the Bible as opposed to, say, platonic categories. Hold on. All right. And so here, here's what I've come up with. It, it really is about, even the three estates, it, it's really about one. Uh, it's about fatherhood, right? So you have the father of the family, and then you, and when those families grow, you have them come together, and you have, you have more of them. So you need a father of the families, which is often a patriarch. It's certainly the way it begins, you know, one at a time. Uh, and then uh, you also have uh, the need to come before God because that's what man's made to do. And so you have the father of the worship. Now, in creation, Adam is all of this, right? And so in creation, every, every man is made to be a father who is all of these things, uh, who, who is the one who is the, uh, the, the sire of the family, who is the one who is the, the father, the patriarch of the people, and, and who is the one who is the priest of his home. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things are, are supposed to be there, but of course, with a fractured fallen world, it's all made all sorts of nonsense all over the place, right? So no one's got like, I shouldn't say that. It's difficult to say, oh, this is ideal here or there. So please don't try to take this and, and uh, put it on top of something to say it's ideal. Um, but uh, more, uh, 
what I want you to see then is that from this fatherhood idea that there was Adam, and, you know, and then there were more, uh, and that it kind of fractally expands uh, and compounds in a beautiful and, and uh, repetitive or echoey or even natural law <laughs> kind of way, right? Um, so this this describes how we're supposed to live. In this way, this is not unlike, by the way, we looked at this last week a little bit, right? Trying to get back to this idea of, of how we exist as people, um, not like we can't see these pictures when we try to think about, you know, what the earth is doing with the sun and all the stuff we can read in the science books. It's all really pretty, really cool. All the drawings. Yay. But like, this is how you actually live. You live on the planet looking up with the ground underneath. You can't see it and all this kind of stuff. I can't see beyond it. So trying to get your head back into that kind of life is what this now can help you do uh, to realize that the father is always the one walking the way. He's always on a path. Uh, so um, if you're not your own father, uh, then your father is doing this for you, right? Um, if you are a wife, well, then your husband is doing this for you. Now, does this mean that a woman can't walk the way? No, you walk your own way too, right? Just under the father. And so in this way, authority is fractal and it does not like, never go into womanhood, right? W- women definitely biblically exercise authority in their vocations. And so like, that's all awesome. That's all good, right? So um, and I'm speaking to the woke, right? If the woke happen to, to come into this and they don't like, what is he talking about? That's such weird stuff. Like, well, yeah, like we totally are weird. We have a completely different language and you really must understand it because you think we're about hate and we're about love. And so it's, there's a big communication gap going on. So anyway, just making sure you understand, like, like talk about the father. I mean, we believe that from the father comes everything else, right? So that family exists, including man and woman. And then, so everyone's benefiting from all these other things. And like, he's like, the, the king doesn't hoard it for himself. What kind of jerk would do? Oh, wait a minute. What, is there something wrong with our planet? Is it not working the way natural law should? Yeah. That, okay. Okay. So anyway, yeah, yeah. For the woke. That was all for the woke. Yay. Okay. So the father walks the way then. The way is going to split, right? The, the temptation is to split between the wise and the foolish way. But that's always going to happen in these three, what? Walks. These three places he has to walk. Because he has to walk uh, from the hearth. He has to walk away from his home. He is where he is and that's his home his safe place, right? His, his security, his castle, his protection. And by safe place, again, not the woke version where no one else can come there. Although in a sense, it is that. It's where he has um, put his mark. And so, yeah, no one else can come there and disturb without him, without him, right? So he's, he's the one who rules in the home. Uh, and if a father doesn't have that, he's going to struggle. He's really going to struggle. He'll try uh, to be like a good pet, but it, it just doesn't fit. Man's not a pet. Uh, so, so from the hearth, the father walks where? Well, he has to walk to the altar. He has to walk to the prayers. He has to walk to Jesus. He has to walk to his God. Even if he doesn't have Jesus as his God and he's got false gods, he's walking to his God. Why do you think people grab the phone so fast in the morning? What do you think they're doing? Yeah, they're going straight to that altar. I mean, it's lightning fast. You don't even have time to think about doing something else and you're like straight into it. Okay, so, so you got to go to the altar. It's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. It's hard to see how many religions there are. I started really thinking about it more as I drive by stuff on like, uh, in like a strip mall land, strip mall land. It's like, you know, every place you pass is like a worship service. Everyone's going there to worship. They all worship different things. You know, they buy, buy things this way or, or put things in the yard this way. Oh goodness. Anyway, I don't want to go off that too hard, but like everything is worship for the pagan man. Everything is worship. So, uh, you walk then where to which altar and how do you decide which altar you're going to bow down on? That's where, can you see these words on the side here? It becomes really helpful. So the home is from the Greek economia. 
uh, economy. And this has to do with the fact that the family and how the family survives together generation to generation has everything to do with how the community survives together from generation to generation. And if the family is not able to survive together, then the community will fracture and dissolve. And you can see this in small town America all over the place. So, so the home and the hearth is the first place of economy. That's why Marxist ideas like destroying the home, basically destroying fatherhood, destroying the hearth, uh, they're really bad ideas. They seem real good on paper when they promise they can do all this stuff and fix the planet, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, they just aren't living in reality and history, history is so clear on this, but no one reads. So what do you expect? Uh, that, that's a, a tangent. Can I go on a tangent? Here we go. Tangent, tangent. Wait, how do I do this? Uh, right here? You see me here? Tangent. No one reads. So like, I've been thinking about this one a lot. No one reads. Like maybe you do, but most people do not. How on earth are they going to become Christians in Lutheran churches, which make them go to class and read hymnals? Now, I'm not advocating, I'm not advocating what someone immediately thought I was. Far from it. I'm asking the question, what are you going to do to help people who can't read? Because I, I'm just noticing, is anyone else noticing? I mean, can, can, can somebody testify? Can I get a witness? Like, people don't read. And, and what that means is, like, even bulletins, like, oh, the visitors need a bulletin to make it easy so they can, no, no. not without pictures, man. Is it a comic book? Like, I mean, people don't read. Okay, okay, so, seriously, that's what, so how, where are they getting their philosophy, right? Where are they getting their love of wisdom? Where are they finding whom they worship? Uh, that's what the father must walk the way to, and are you on the, the foolish way or the wise way? That's the question. And then from the altar, after having, like, recognized that you can't actually do it, that there are higher powers in this life, even if you don't believe in God, like, nature's gonna crush your bones, so get ready, right? So, like, acknowledge nature and pray to the gods of nature, whatever you conceive them, because, you know, sustainable energy, because, like, that's exactly right. You better. You better. Because if you don't, this nature is going to crush you. Okay. I mean, that's where philosophy kind of starts, right? How do you love wisdom in a world filled with evil and the problem of evil and so forth? And anyway, so, 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 so. Uh, he, then you walk from the altar where you're asking for like beneficence, bene, benefice, bene, benevolence, benevolence, benevolence. I don't know. For God to love you and do good things. You, then you walk from there to the gate, to the gate. This is this is my favorite thing now because this is what we would see. If we're just trapped in like, in like Luther's three estates, then this is the government, okay? The government. What's the government in your life? The government's a very, very far away thing, right? I mean, unless you happen to be a board member in your local county, you know, you vote once every couple of years or so. You think you participate because you listen to the white noise and you let them tell you what you're supposed to be worried about and then you worry about it and you don't pray the Psalms, right? Kind of, right? So like, but that's... That's not actually the polis, you know, Greek word city, uh, from which we get police and politics and all this stuff. That, that's not what that is. Uh, that's a lot more like like the gates, right? Where's the where's the gate? This is where the, I love this word gate. So, in in uh, the ancient world, a city was a city because it had a wall, generally. Like so, like the moment your family was big enough to build a wall, you had a city. And you, that's what you were. And, and because you could defend yourselves and you were big enough that people, you know, you were worth attacking too, right? So you could defend others and not others. So just the growth of nations, yada, yada. So as this happens, uh, you build your wall. You know, somebody was really not very clever. And the, the first one who did this, they just built a circle and they were all stuck inside. And then the, and they all killed that guy. And then, and then the next guy was like, I got an idea. Let's cut a hole and we'll call it a gate. Yeah. 
And everyone's like, dude, you're king forever, right? And so, you know, so they built the gate. Anyway, every city that had the wall had a gate. It had, you needed to go in and out. But the gate then was where the city defended itself most. And the way this happened is that the men sat there especially the older men who were kind of, they'd earned that right. You know, they'd moved past the, the, the spirit of, of youthful, uh, you know, vigor and, and uh, the desire to both build and, and grow, right? And they were ready to do a little less of that. And so they sit at the gate and they talk. And you see old men do this at the coffee shop all the time, right? So, so anyway, or they used to pre, pre-mass and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> so the gate became a place of discourse. It became where if a visitor shows up, there's somebody there who says, hey, who are you? Welcome to our town, right? We do it this way. Who is who we are? It was a way of, of remaining a community. Huh? And, and okay, so... As this then, the question has to arise. Where's that place in your life? It's pretty easy for you to find your hearth, I think, even if you don't have a stone fire one. You got a furnace somewhere in the building, right? And if it does, it pumps into the, you know, the apartment, well, then where the heat comes in, that's your hearth, right? That's your home and you need that. Uh, And so your economy all flows from that, right? And, And you know where your altar is, or if you don't, you can find it pretty quickly. It's where you worship God. How do you worship God? That's a good question, right? That's a good question. Uh, but this is going to be how your love of wisdom, you know, how you discern truth, how you walk through life, it's where it's really going to be built. Your worldview mostly is going to end up at your altar, right? Okay, and then at the gate, you go there, and this is where American, Westerner, modern man who lives his prey, do you even know where the gate is? Do you got, a, do you got any gates? You seen a gate recently? I mean, you talk about government all the time, right? Now the government should do this, the government should do that, like whales or something, right? Um, and if you picked up on that one, good for you. So the the gate, where's your gate? Now let me tell you, I figured out, I figured out where my gate was. Can you guess? I know where my gate is, and my portcullis comes up sometimes, and and, and I chill. And actually, I got my my boy Derek right across the street there. His portcullis is up too. We, he's a good man. Derek over there. So like, um, that's, I realized I had, my house had a gate, right? My house had a gate. And then, no, that's not going to work. But then the next question is, you know, from your, from your home gate, which you want to be where you engage the world, is it just with the postman? Is that, the, I mean, if even that, you know, how, how is your gate? Does your gate get used? Isn't it interesting that we live in a world where each of us is powerful enough to have a city? Uh, in a sense, because our homes are strong enough to defend compared to especially what they used to be, right? Um, and yet, you know, we, each, we each have a courtyard, a covered courtyard in our homes, if you own a home, you know, some, some of you have a courtyard with three or four carriages in it, right? Um, so like, interesting how the gate has been removed from the discourse in the city, the bigger the city gets, that's the more that happens, right? And so but still, well, then where's the gate to what's next? You know, my neighborhood's got a gate is right up over over that way, right? And I think a lot about that gate. I've stopped and prayed at that gate now because even though nobody really talks there yet, um, that's where the entry point is, right? And so expanding from there, where the gates are and where you go, this ends up being when you go to work, this ends up being when you go to shopping stores, everywhere you go is a gate and you're going through gates left and right, right? And so I find, and let me just suggest to you, like ancient world categories kind of make a lot more sense than the modern ones. Yeah, I mean, they really do. They really do. Like what good... These words are nice, like, and I can explain why Gates theology if you need me to, but like, like, I like economy, I like philosophy, I like theology, I mean, I could rap about the, ooh, uh, but like, um, in terms of who I am and how I understand myself, in terms of a philosophy that lets me live and move and have a being, right? Well, goodness gracious, uh, these categories just, they just blow away everything the modern world has to offer. 
So the father then will be wise just to begin with to realize, oh, I walk from the hearth to the altar and the gate and then I walk back. He walked away home again. And why theology at the gate? Well, it's where everybody else confesses their gods. You confess your God in your philosophy with the private things you do, how you actually discipline your body, what you actually are hidden. No, this is where you like see how the other gods engage and what they teach and what they bring about and how, well, how all the foolish gods ready us for the fire is what they do. They ready us for the fire. Of course, Jesus Christ raises you for the fire just in a completely different way. Oh my goodness. That's called being, is it born again? It actually is. Yeah, I said that. I said that. Does that mean anything changed? No, I'm just going to get the biblical language back. And all y'all, it's the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. We'll be right back. Stick around. Well, that didn't work. That This is a video that is not playing. While we figure out why it is not playing, you will listen to me talk about why the video is not playing. This is a video not playing. It will continue to not play until it plays. Hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. Uh, he won't be long now. And uh, you're immortal. I got it out of order. And we're going to flip this around. Get us. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I can do it. I can do it. Magic buttons, magic buttons, magic buttons. Oh, that changed everything. Ah, what's going on? Whatever. We're just going to come. I don't know. I think I'm going to do do this right now. No, no, no. See, this is why I had to do this. Goodness. You remember how it was working earlier? Like it was like circles and everything. I can do all that. Why would it change that? Why would it change it just because I went away? There we go. Round. Make it bigger. Now you can see me and we can talk about the questions because it's your questions and the Bible's answers here on the Saturday Morning Chill. What? Never mind. This is uh, me doing new things. And it was really, I was I was very happy how, um, oh, goodness gracious. One, two, juggle my shoe, talk at the same time and do what you do. Almost there, coming slow, gonna make it eventually to the grab bag where we got it. It was all set up, I swear, I promise. It's time for your questions, Bible's answers, and my nonsense like that here on the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He won't be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. You should join us. You really should. And even though, you know, bad TV notwithstanding, certainly happening from time to time. And can we get there? Can we get there? We're all there. Ted says this. Uh, Ted says this. I got to look over here to say this. Uh, Ted says, uh, thanks for your great thoughts on contemporary Christian music. What examples of Lutheran praise and worship would you like to see in congregations I can think of the words in matins and vespers in the evening. What else? Is there a way for the colic to be sung? So I, you may misunderstand me. You may misunderstand me. I, I was pretty clear, I think, at the opening uh, last time. I want to make it really clear. that. So the fact that I think it's good to sing just generally praises to Jesus kind of in your life, right? Like, like, hallelujah. You should say it. You should sing it. Um, and that contemporary Christian music CCM produced on like a MP3, if that's what we call it, on a CD, you know, an album, right? That this can help with that. You got to be careful because there's a lot of poop out there, right? But you can find some really good stuff or some really empty stuff that you can fill with your Lutheran thoughts, which I find, again, valuable. Now, this is a really far cry from let's change worship, 
let's suddenly make what we are not what we are and try to be more like somebody else. I don't think that's helping anybody ever, right? Uh, Now, I can go at this question a different way, but I really want to make that part clear. Like, I don't envision changing anything about church. I really don't. What I hope I see more of is what I saw last week. After spending that week kind of studying praise, what was really neat was to see how much praise was in the divine service. Like, it was all over the place. The words praise and worship showed up together in a phrase. You know, you had to receive stuff, right? It was it was incredible. And, like, the things that, you know, you, you think we can't say as Lutherans, they're right there. You can hear the local plane going overhead. They're right there for you to sing. The only thing is you're not paying attention. Or somehow you think you can't praise like that because it doesn't have the right music. And so please don't hear me saying that just because I think someone wrote a really nice song with some great music and some words of praise in it, that therefore that music belongs in church or that therefore we should change all church music to be like that music. One of the big, big lies about CCM is the idea that you can have music that sounds like it's produced in a studio at your church. The bigger lie is that you can do it. And so some, some guy goes and tries to do it and he doesn't even know how bad he sounds. He can't know how bad he sounds. He's never worked with studio musicians before. He doesn't even know what it's like to have a, that next level kind of reality. Uh, and so, so that's, that's a big lie. You got a bunch of people to decide they're going to be their own rock star and then like shove that down the throat of grandma and like because Johnny wants to play jumps. I mean, really, it's, it's kind of sad what that's done to the churches over time. And you can see again, I mean, we certainly, this is not the time to be instituting new forms of worship. I, I, I heard this recently. So it's just like in this area. I can't remember where, but a congregation that has been, you know, basically using nothing but hymnal and organ until 2021. And now, now they're going to try to do praise and worship. And, and like, like you couldn't be farther away from reality right now. Like no one's coming back to your church anyway at this point. No one's coming back to church. We're seeing this all over the place where those who close down, those who shut down, their numbers are not returning. How long can those organizations sustain themselves? Only the ones that are vetted and vested. Those like you hear about on a brief history of power with Dr. Kuntz and myself, uh, who've been building endowments since the 1800s. The rest of us who just got in this game after the forties, we're going down. We're going down institutionally. Uh, you cannot compete with these guys and they're sucking the system out. The, the monetary, issues are not going to change. Okay. A bit of, a bit of a tangent there, right? But the point being like, so with everything changing and looking like it's going to get worse for a time's time and half a time, even though it won't be worse like Mad Max, it's going to be not easy. Now's not the time to try to be something that you're not. Really, it just isn't the time to do that. It's not time to feign it, not time to fake it, not time to try to pretend, get on a stage, got to break the cage. Oh, 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 Cages. It's a decent song. It's a decent song, that song, Cages. Um, so really, uh, this is the time to authentically confess what you believe. And so if, if you can't praise Jesus at your church, that's, that's something to repent of, actually. It's something to repent of. And maybe that's what's been most important for me, is it's been like a repentance of sorts. I don't think that I was bound for hell, um, but I think I was lacking something. I was lacking an awareness of praise, which uh, honestly, Lutheranism, here, cheers to you. I had it when I went to seminary. I loved praising Jesus. I became a liturgical sacramental Christian. I love that too. What happened? How did I lose the praise? Bitter root is what I got to say to that. There's a bitter root somewhere. Oh, you hear me, Missouri? We got a bitter root somewhere and it's fostered a spirit of cowardice and we're not going to get better till we repent. Whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, each of us individually, probably. We're all part of that same big... Um, lady, lady, uh, so, 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 so mother synod, right? Oh, beloved. Oh, beloved. Uh, this is not the time 
to start a new fight. If you've got if you've got praise and worship going on right now at your church, like and, and you're a pastor there, I mean the last thing I do be like, okay, right now, liturgy hard as we can. I'd be like, Psalms. Dude, Psalms, Psalms, everyone, pray the Psalms at home. Pray the Psalms at home. Are you praying the Psalms at home? Like, if we're not going to be praising Jesus in our homes, we will not be praising him when we gather on Sunday. We will not. As a group, as a community, we will be each individually having our one devotional moment for the week. <laughs> That's not good for the body. Yeah? You follow me on that? So so this is about corporate identity. This is about, yeah, community politics. And this is about tribal reality. Uh, this is about what are your call and response signals. We all have them. The question is, do they, do they communicate or not? Yeah. Uh, and if they're not communicating, what do you do? Uh, I think that the, the historic liturgical communication is quite high once you understand what's going on. It is a bit of a high bar. So, but then again, so why, why would the, the mystery of mysteries, the great divine service, be the entry point for anybody into the Christianity? It just doesn't make any sense why you'd expect them to have any clue what's going on. There are profane people. There are profane people that we live amidst. So, you know, we, you, you hear that text about, you know, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and we go, oh yeah, woe is me. Like, with sort of like a, I don't know, seventh grade, you know, kick the floor kind of thing. Like, no, no, you really don't get it. Like, we're going to burn. Like, the fire's coming. This is bad. This is really, really bad. What's going on in our society right now? It, it, this never goes well historically. It is conquering time or like eat ourselves to death time. And, and so to be ready for that, right? Uh, to be unashamed and unafraid of that, again, it's going to be because you, you are in the Psalms. Um, it's also going to be because you understand that this is a profane people and that as the people of God, as Christians raised from the dead already, able to see and give your lives as more than conquerors, you are also, you are then free to, to do as you see fit. So if you think it's wise for you and your family to leave the place where it's pretty clear that the fire's coming, like that ain't beholden on you to stay there and have that happen. And if you think that you can build a defense for your house, well, there's no reason not to do that either, right? What's the defense? I mean, you're just thinking to stock up on some military arms. You're going to stop what's coming. The real, the real problem is not, is not like um, BlackRock. Uh, the real problem is Chitulu, seriously. And if you don't know that, then again, you're just some atheist, <laughs> but the rest of us have to deal with the reality that's actually and significantly threatening to, to just devour and swallow us all, right? Um, and so in this, wherever you are, if you've got something you've been doing for a long time, don't stop doing that. Just don't stop doing that. You need some object permanence in your life. You really do. Just, just a little. Get some. Get some, right? Uh, don't stop doing what you know how to do. If you want to do it better, that's a different thing. It's a very different thing. There's no question that you can walk into many, many, many organ-playing churches and have the desire to sing stopped. It, I, I don't want to hurt feelings. It's just the way that it is. And it's just the way that it is. And so, you know, that does make it difficult to make a joyful noise, right? Um, but, you know, what's the solution to that? Is it to sweep away everything and piss everybody off? And like, you know, no, the, the, the prayer so if you don't think you can pray at your church or praise at your church because it's not good enough, then just start praying for that at home. You know, have you started praying the Psalter yet for your church? Like in any way at all, any level, then why are you complaining? Now, I'm not trying to hit you personally, but like really, like it all should start with us first being different privately in our commitment to what we would have the corporate be more committed to. Like stop that and rewind it. Okay, do that one again. So what do I envision? So, so I there's so I don't want to change nothing. You got that? I want that to be so clear because I know I'm going to get accused of it because 
I'm going to, I'm going to ruffle the feathers on both sides. Cause I'm going to be honest about all the idols. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's true. You know, when we're putting our, our money on something that's not the word of God, then that's just not where I'm going to be like, Oh, my hands in the air. You know? <laughs> so, so, um, uh, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> take that. Uh, uh, That doesn't mean that we can't learn. And it doesn't mean that there aren't bridges. And it doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be repentance. It certainly means there's no black or white because this world's incredibly complex. And so while you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not lie, you should not worship other gods. Mm. There are all sorts of nuances to how this takes place where you are. And so sometimes you turn left and sometimes you turn right because to walk on the way is to choose the wise path, not the one someone else has told you to choose. Hard to be wise following instructions. It can be wise to follow instructions, but you're not going to be wise by following the instructions, right? It's not going to teach you the wisdom itself. Not if that's all you ever do. And that's not if everything you've ever done is learn to pass the test by saying what they tell you to say. <laughs> Goodness. So, can we learn from this? Yes. What is my vision? Uh, hate that question. I'll tell you what I'm trying to do. I would like to see the congregation expand its abilities with the organ. Because the organ, while a powerful machine, to be sure, uh, for the sake of, say, uh, uh, raising a ruckus, like at baseball games um, and things like that. Like the, the, the power of the organ is, is lost on us in modern time because the power of the speaker has outdone it. Uh, but the, the power of the organ is, is really something. And you know, to lose that or to, to, to have it and say it's of no value, um, I mean, it's kind of like you know, a precious heirloom that, it, that you, you don't want to restore. That means you hate your family, right, in a sense. You, you, know, you leave it behind. You'd only leave it behind weeping. Um, but, uh, the, one of the beautiful things about the organ is its versatility and yet versatile organ playing would not be what, you know, most musicians that play organs, uh, in traditional congregations are trained to do. Uh, so, so the desire to expand the organs value so that people can understand it, uh, is not an easy one. You need a really particularly good musician to do that who is able to navigate between both organ and, and a couple other instruments, probably at least having done so enough to see how to incorporate other musicians without just having to be the organ with that. Right. Um, and you know, the organ with people singing as opposed to people singing and we're going to help them, which I mean, there's, there's a big difference there. There's a mass idolatry actually is the difference there. So, um, uh, the ability to expand into other instrumentation that suits the mood and the moment of the liturgy is only to love the liturgy for what it is, uh, to claim that all of it has to be done from organ uh, as some sort of uh, uh, podium of Western triumph of Lutheran history. Uh, it just it just seems like the wrong fight, you know. Um, I don't I don't know why. I'm I'm not trying to save the West. I'm not trying to save Plato. I'm trying to live here and be a people, trusting that the Lord Jesus has already saved everything that needs to be saved, and the rest of the path is going to be laid out before me for the sake of those who come after me, that they might know Him. 
Yeah. And so, so that has to be what goes on with how you talk about these questions in worship. It's always in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you have life in his name. And any conversation that steals that from us is better off thrown to the fire. Like whatever that thing was, we can't, we can't agree over it. Let's get rid of it. Hard pressed to find a congregation willing to do that. But, but, uh, so what are we doing here uh, with a musician who's willing to do this? And I'm very blessed that he's here. He may not be here forever. And so who knows how long this, this little experiment will be. And by experiment, what is that? Well, we, we have some songs that go with the piano instead of the organ. How do we decide? He decides. He's a musician. He's really good. It's amazing. Uh, he, can, he can craft the morning. And it, it's just beautiful. He plays both instruments beautifully. Um, and he will, he will choose where and when. Does the piano predominate at distribution, at the end of distribution? Yeah, it usually does. You know, is that where the, the lighter weight song is? Yeah, it usually is. Why? So people can sing it while they're walking up and back. You know, it's easy to remember, that kind of thing. Are they all from the hymnal? Absolutely. I mean, because they're good songs there. Why do we need more? Um, we, we don't sing these ones. <laughs> now, then what about that one, right? And so, so I, you know, where we also then have brought song in um, is that we sing during the, the song of the church or the, the prayer of the church, which is a is a uh, anomaly, by the way. If you're a, a hymnal thumping uh, Lutheran, your prayer of the church is a weird thing, uh, especially after you've already done it in divine service two, one and two, yeah. Um, where you say, Lord, have mercy after you pray for the whole world and the people of God and all this stuff in every age. Blah, blah, blah. Like that's actually the prayer of the church there too. So you, you have it twice in the liturgy, which is strange. And then you have, like it used to be one really solid prayer that was prayed every week. And then it became this thing where the pastor had to write a prayer every week. And now there's a thing where you can get the email where they do it for you every week. And it's it's a really odd thing. And then and then people, in my experience, when I was in the pew, it was like the hardest part of the church to like be part of. <laughs> it was so boring. And so, like, there's a lot of challenges to how do we get people to pray together. So what we've done is we've just turned the response to the prayer into a um, an antiphon, right, to use the classic terminology. Um, a chorus is what the new terminology would be, um, although both of them don't really do credit because the actual thing's somewhere in the middle. It's certainly not a chorus where we're doing—that's the wrong word. And, and it's definitely not an antiphon either, but it is. It's both of those things. And what it is is just— usually a Bible verse, you know, Lord have mercy on us, Christ have mercy on us, Lord have mercy on us, in a tune that can be repeated in response to the leader's vocalization of the prayer proper, which at the moment is spoken over the music, although someday may be sung. Uh, so like it's, you know, it's it's call and response. Um, a powerful tool that the church would do well to remember is like hers by divine right. Um, and, uh, how do you do that? That's the question for me more than like, how do I shoehorn this song? I like into Sunday. Um, no, 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 no. If anything, what I'm going to be doing with the songs that I like to sing, not at church, um, is I'm going to sing them not at church. <laughs> so like, like with my family, maybe I used to play guitar. Uh, I still do play guitar. I just don't play it often. And, um, and so I'm going to pull it out and we're going to sing. And, and we'll probably pull the hymnal out and sing some of those songs too. I've done that in the past. One of the, it's really frustrating though, how hard it is to get hymns to fit with modern rhythm. And I still don't know what the mystery of that is. If I was a real musician, I'd know better. And someone's out there telling me, well, it's because of the marks of the Vinka von And it's like, yeah, yeah, Greek and, you know, auto shop all at once. So, but why is that? You know, anyone who's tried, you know, that the, the hymns without a chorus just don't, transition as well into say guitar 
and uh, even just for light singing, it's it's challenging. It 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 does work. You can do it, but it doesn't have the same ability to just sing. Um, and part of it is maybe the again the the requirement of knowing so many words. Um, when you're in a small group that's just getting together to, to sing on an afternoon about anything, right? The idea would be your family likes music and you sing together. Um, uh, it, if you're going to do that, right, you want words that everyone can know. And uh, Lutheran hymnody, which is like it's like the most dense and powerful poetry ever. Um, it's it, it not everyone's got all of it memorized. You got to open the hymnals. You got to get here and there, right? And so it it is a more difficult thing to do, especially in the home with an instrument. Unless you got a piano, but that's the thing. You can flip that another way. And truly, if you got a really great guitarist, they're going to be much better. I'm I'm just mediocre, right? So they're going to be able to do that. But a piano and a hymnal in the home—that's an amazing thing. Uh, you know, to be able to sit around as a family and sing hymns every night—that that's an amazing thing. You know, you, you would just have to have uh, really the father decide that's what they're going to do, and you'd have to have someone who he could convince to play, whether it's himself or someone else, right? And so, um, yeah, it, it. So do you see what I'm saying? It's really not about in any way the praise and worship contemporary traditional liturgical debates because I am firmly entrenched on the side of the liturgy <laughs> uh, and, and will not budge uh, and will not profane the sanctuary of God at such a time as this with such a, a, a divisive idea. Um, but uh, what I do believe is that we want to sing and praise as Lutherans and that it's there in our services. And I think maybe what's lacking is simply we don't praise the rest of the week and we're out of practice. I mean, not you, perhaps. You're like, but I do. Good for you. Get a friend to do it too. Because we don't. We, plural, big group, small, getting, dying, you know, cowards. We don't. We don't. We've forgotten how to praise. We're too busy fighting and worrying and wringing our hands about the end of the world. Which, eh, eh, end of the world. It's coming. It's coming. One way or the other. But that's all right. Okay, now. Yeah, now they all showed up again. All right, so moving on. Didn't Anakin Cringewalker says, these are all super chats from last week, by the way. But So let's do the bottom one first. Uh, William Gaminer says, keep up the good work, Pastor Jay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, and then we have an anonymous saying, even Luther mentioned seeing sex slavery when he visited Rome as a monk. Um, yeah, absolutely. So this was on the topic of, you know, um, the the elite sex slave trade world spanning is not new epstein's island not new you surprised i mean this is what they've done and been doing this is what the reformation was trying to stop to begin with and it became about much much more when we realized it wasn't just about the outer evil but about the inner evil of well again uh, de- desecrating christ's sufficiency mm. so like yeah uh, the history of uh, men seeking power for the sake of controlling power over others, for the sake of making others subjugate to themselves, uh, this is this is history. This is what history is. That's why Koontz and I are doing a brief history of power with two white guys. You should check that out. Anywhere podcasts can be found. They haven't banned us for being white yet. It's amazing. I mean, we got it right in the title and everything. So, But you can check out this actually vested and understanding man who has done the deep research on where we are in time and history, and he will give you a, a framework for understanding that. Um, but you know, in that then, uh, history is the history of power. The show is called A Brief History of Power because that's what history is. Uh, it's the stories we tell of power 
Those stories change over time and they're buried in a Babylon gooky mass of foo-foo nonsense. So you have to parse it left and right. And whatever you get from before, it tends to be skewed. It's bent. It's wiggly and unable to be pinned down in ways that enable you to see clearly a certain tomorrow. The only exception, of course, being the Holy Bible of Jesus Christ, right? The Holy Bible is something that you can trust to show you the way. And you will see there that from of old, sexual slavery and prostitution, especially that which includes children unto then, also the burning and killing of infants as a way to try to extend life as a final sacrifice by which we can placate the God who is the God over all of death, all of that's gone on all the way through the Old Testament, and it was going on into the, the age of the New Testament as well. Uh, why would we think it has not gone on and is not going on now? Now, you know, Dr. Koontz might make the claim that 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 150 years ago, when, when we were at the apex of the civilization we're now in, I think that's how he argues it, um, You know, maybe there was less of that in the cities. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, but, but to be sure, I mean, it, this, is, this is a thread that is ugly in history. And uh, what we don't do, what, we, what, uh, what I want to do more, I should say this way, what I want to do more is stop saying, oh, history's like that over there far away. Oh, history's like that over there far away. I want to be like, oh, it's just like that here then. It's exactly the same. This is the part where I started the show with about like, you're on the same planet Jesus walked on. Just because there's cars here, nothing has changed. Just because you can sit there and stare at this little screen for four hours and like lose half your day, it doesn't mean anything changed. Nothing's changed. It's the same planet and so deceptive. They've convinced us that it's different. They've convinced us that it's different. That's the matrix right there. That, that's the matrix. Skynet's the problem. The matrix is how they do it. How they do it? Well, you got to tune in for regular programming, don't you now? That's right. Information. That's what they call it. So Jedi Anakin Kundrucker, he says this, uh, Rutilius, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher it probably, Rutilius Namianus, hmm. sounds pretty cool. Rutilius Namianus, I almost had it. Rutilius Namianus, Namatianus. Rutilius Namatianus wrote a poem in 416 AD titled The Journey Home. He was a Gaul working in Rome while it was sacked. He documents how the world changed, has changed since the imperial government fell. So I think the point here when the conversation was there last week was uh, we were on the, the topic of arcs, build an arc, yeah? which I mean, is worth saying this all the time right now. You got your gate, right? You got to open your gate because you got to let everybody know that inside you're building an arc. <laughs> now, what does that mean? It means you're going to survive through the flood. Oh, what's the flood? Well, certainly there was a historical one. So don't let me, anyone tell you that I'm just kind of metaphorizing this at all. No, no. I think it's just a, a symbolic picture of how uh, everything happens in history repeatedly, right? Nations rise, nations fall, and so forth. And I, I believe that this also expands in like a fractal way uh, to impact your life. So your life is going to be like surviving a flood by being in the ark that is Jesus Christ, period. Okay. Uh, and then in smaller ways, much of your life will be that experience over and over again of uh, being on your own, surrounded by evil people, in which then you survive uh, through your faith in Jesus Christ, whereas they, in faith, do not, right? And they don't have that faith. And this doesn't look like a, a raging flood killing everyone all around. It doesn't look like a zombie apocalypse, but that's, that's happening, right? All over in every human life throughout history, and then it's happening every day. Fractality is one of the coolest things that comes out of uh, the Solomonic principle that there are three who are one. But uh, I'll distract myself by, by talking about that. Um, see, I did it. I did it. I did it. Uh, oh, this is it. So you're going to build an ark because, because Christians know that God saves. Jesus saves. Yeah, are we sheep to be slaughtered? Absolutely. 
Sometimes you're saved through martyrdom, but then like by the time you're there, you want that. So Jesus still saves. If there's something we need to repent of right now as churches and as Christians, we don't think Jesus is going to save us. We think we got to go do it. We think we got to go do it. We've thought we got to go do it for a good while now. It's time to stop that. It really is. Because Jesus saves. He's the God who saves. And, and certainly the prosperity gospel has made all manner of muck with this by telling people not only they're going to be saved, but they're going to get like, like extra stuff out of every time. Or you're always going to level up every time God saves you. Except for that, the problem is they're just looking at it from like a temporal point of view. They're looking at it from a mammon point of view. The fact is that in the spirit, you are going to level up every time. There are not levels of Christianity. There is repentance and renewal every morning. And every time that it comes, when you're older with more perspective, it feels bigger because you are. You grew. <laughs> and you're going to do that for the rest of reality. For the rest of reality. Uh, and that includes this broken time that feels like decay because it is, and yet isn't decay for you because the cross is your resurrection. Oh my goodness, there's so much good stuff in there. And like, so, so, so then since you know that, you know that once you, you know, close your gate, that God will shut you in. And, you know, the, the, the plague will pass over you. Uh, the arrows that fly by day, they will not be able to harm you. You'll be able to jump over that wall if you have to. Now, all of this is, I'm metaphorizing this. This is all metaphor because that's how the typology comes to you now as a way to appropriate it in Jesus Christ. The not metaphor is that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And because you've been washed in the blood of Christ and feast on his flesh and blood, he will raise you up on the last day. That's not a metaphor. That's as fact as the fact is fact. <laughs> yeah, triple threat. So, so, but then all of the Old Testament is not metaphor about it, history about it, which serves as type that you can understand as metaphor. <laughs> so, but it's not metaphor, right? So it truly happened. There truly was a flood, there truly was a boat, there truly was a man and eight other people. And baptism now, in fact, does not symbolize this, but that was the symbol of baptism. First Peter 3.21, look it up. So that you might be confident that there's always going to be an ark for you. There's always going to be an ark. Every single time. The only thing that can keep you from believing that is you thinking that your death's bad. That's the only thing that can keep you from believing that. Otherwise, you know there's an ark. And I'll tell you, all the way up to death, there'll be one. And then in death, he is. <laughs> he is. So, um, oh, it's a beautiful thing, I think. It's a beautiful thing. So that's what Jenna Knight Grindwalker with the comment here, I think, was getting at, was that you know, even as Rome is falling apart, you have Christians there gathering and, and cataloging and trying to keep together both the history of what happened uh, and as many resources as they can information resources, you know, confession, witness, testimony, history, math, science, all that uh, uh, information of value. They were trying to keep those things from the people who thought they were of no value, who couldn't read them, who were just trying to pillage and get what they could and, you know, take what they could until it was all gone. Once it's all gone, everyone's just dying in the mud, right? So, well, that's where the monasteries had libraries. Once everyone was dying in the mud, the monasteries had libraries and we could really start again. It was slow. It was hard. It was an ark. So, uh, you know, and in those arcs, you had you had churches where the Lord's Supper was being given. And even though at times it got pretty ugly, I think, in terms of the captivity of consciences and the, the destructive tendencies, it's a wide and varied history. You know, not everyone was a Carthusian all the time from like 300 until 18 or until 15, 17, you know. And so like the, the Holy Spirit was at work behind all of that. You can know the Holy Spirit is at work right now where you are in you. 
as a Christian to bind you to other Christians so that you can see the ark, right? So you can put your hand to it. And, you know, what is your vocation? Who are your friends and family? That's going to have a lot to do with what that ark is. And is this prepping? It could be. It doesn't have to be, though. It could just be that we're going to we're going to sing hymns every night, right? And we're not going to be as invested in all the things that the pagans think are so interesting. And we're going to be invested instead of, like, extending our generation one more level down in this place for the sake of this altar, that we're going to share an altar. What an idea. So counterculture is crazy. Literally, Mad Christian Radio Show. Indeed, this is what you're watching. Is what you're watching. Let's let's uh, let's move on. We got one more from you. Not a lot came in this week, so I guess I probably should say something like like go to revfist.com/slash/contact and send questions. Otherwise, you'll just hear me talking about what I think. And well, maybe that's all you want. Maybe that's all you want. Okay. So Mr. D says this. Hey, Mr. D, what's up? Why do I have? Oh, I see why that worked. Okay, Mr. D says this. He says uh, when we're told that man was made in the image of God, does that include our physical form? Ooh. Ooh, interesting question. Uh, if that is true, does it have any bearing on helping to understand other parts of Scripture, such as evening and morning in the first days of creation before the sun and moon to rule the day and night, and Daniel seeing one like a son of man? Okay, I think I see where you're going. And I, I, I think the best answer I can give you is like, I got no clue. Um, I mean, the yes or no is the answer. Now, the the, the right answer is that the Father dwells in inapproachable light, and that He is Spirit, though not the Holy Spirit. But Paul calls Him Spirit at one point, uh, and so in in that idea, you know, Jesus says you cannot see Him. Um, I have you've seen Me instead. He says so. The, the Father doesn't have a body as we would conceive it physically or corporally, given that everything we conceive with that word body is created by Him. Okay, it is part of the created world. So, um, so the answer is no. Okay, uh, then you have this interesting thing you put your finger on right away, accidentally, which is that Jesus has a body and Jesus is God, and Jesus says, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father." Oh my goodness, here we go, Trinitarian wars incoming, right? Um, so, well, Jesus is not the Father. It's very clear. He prays to the Father. The Father sends him. He does his Father's bidding. It's very clear. Uh, Jesus is not the Father. But Jesus is God, pretty clear. They worship him. The demons recognize him. They cast them out, you know, not by praying, but by just declaring like Yahweh of old. I mean, he has power over the sea. It's pretty clear that Jesus is God. Uh, and so because Jesus is a man and Jesus is God, that means that God therefore has a body because to be a man, you have to have a body. I mean, it's all pretty clear. Born of a virgin is kind of the whole point. And and this was to redeem man who would fall in. But now, you know, before time, uh, Christ is crucified from the foundation of the world to redeem us because God in his foreknowledge and election has indeed intended all of this for the good of, well, all good. It's only the evil that don't get to be part of it, which is his own kind of tangent there with election and whatnot. But um, da, 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 da. still going, still going. So, so, so yeah, um, God has a physical form, Jesus the man. Did he exist before he came to exist as a man? Yes, he existed, but did he exist as a man in that existence? Um, no, no. He received his humanity from Mary um, in the incarnation and is rightly termed the son of David then. So there's this weird, like, outer, outside of time thing that you, you're putting your finger on right away, wherein we cannot conceive of God now as not being Jesus. Like, you can't. You have to read him backwards into everything now. And so you don't get to go to a time when Jesus was not a man in order to like, 
um, say that uh, to, to to dispute my point um, that your question does God have a physical form has to be answered with yeah Jesus <laughs> right like that that's the point I'm trying to get across okay so so there's that but then that's really not your question though right what's your real question is what is the image of God right at which uh, theologians scholars Bible teachers people Christians whatever uh, we, we fight over, we talk over and, and, you know, the reformed have really led the charge with the idea that it's reason. And I, you know, reason I think is part of what it means to be God and not an animal or a man. Right. But he's, he gives man something that the animals don't have. And what is that? Is it, is it just reason? You know, instinct is a form of reason. I think in some ways it's, it's very good reason that doesn't go astray. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm not willing to say that. And the the main reason for that is has nothing to do with the philosophy. It has to do with the text. If you know me long enough, you listen to me long enough, you know it's always about the text at the end of the day. And you can show me where I'm wrong with the text. I will I will change. I love Jesus. I want this Bible to be what I know. <laughs> and you show me where it's wrong. And I, I will I will repent. So, um, so uh, Paul, <laughs> the irony just abounds. Paul in First Corinthians 11 mentions a reason for man not to uh to do the do to do the do like this right why the reason not to go flowy you know fabio-ish and and in first corinthians 11 the reason he says it is because um it's given to woman as her glory right so long hair is given to woman as her glory and we don't talk about this verse much because Honestly, for the last 50 years, if you did, you just get shouted at by the old ladies. And they don't think they're shouting, but, you know, they've really trained us to feel like it's shouting. And um, and it's sad. It's really sad because, I mean, the text just says that you know, long hair is beautiful and, and like a woman with long hair is beautiful and that that's a gift that God gave to a woman. And that's, that's kind of all it says. Paul says nature teaches you this. You know, I, I'm one of my favorite, like, cynic, critic, skeptic arguments is, well, what about the, the ladies who have hair that can't grow long? It's, you don't understand how fractality works at all. You don't get like like uh, certainly don't get trifold understanding like like that three are one. Uh, you operate only in black or white, right? Like constantly, always, and that's got to be hard on your like everything, basically. So so that argument is is what it is, and the people who want to live in that kind of soundbite world are going to go insane. They're just going to drive themselves insane, like in the grave. Okay. So uh, from the other side of it, though. Is there forgiveness for that? Possibly. Yeah, absolutely. I should say, you know, the lack of knowledge of their sin does not abrogate them from it, but Jesus loves his children and he lets his children die in their sins and be saved without having to like perfectly repent of every thought word indeed ever. That's Roman Catholicism. If if you want to have to do that and they got, they got ways you can pay out of that. So, (laughs) right. Um, eh, 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 Going back to remember. So it says then that, you know, the long hair, the locks are a gift from God to woman for her glory and that it also says that she is the glory of man it's really important the text basically says woman's better than man uh this is not in some sort of like uh, it's not a competition for pity's sakes but like the crown is woman and woman's crown is her hair and why is woman the crown of man um she's his crown because she bears him children right she brings forth more she procreates between uh, alone man does not have an image like unto god with woman suddenly he does now he is not alone he is one who are three with the first child born right so there it goes again solomonic principle is like the answer to everything um although 42 is the answer to everything too and the book of matthew says so what we'll leave that for someone to write in and ask about sometime and we're going to stick with where we just at. So, so in that section on on hair and coverings and all this kind of stuff, which effectively comes down to 
this is not worth arguing about. Like you can see how natural law exists and you need to apply natural law to man and woman. Men should be men, women should be women, and that's what you want to be most concerned with. However, if you're going to build a civilization that understands nature, you're going to understand that women's hair is her glory. The reason he says this, though, he gives one more verse. He says, because man is in the image of God, he should not have long hair. It's a strange verse. It's a very strange verse. Because man is in the image of God. Now, I don't have a quote. Why don't I pull this up? Let's do this. I got this set up for today. Well, so, well I had so much trouble earlier. Here we go. Oh, man. You see all this stuff. Do, 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 do. Eat, sleep, pray the Psalms is the truth. Let's see here. We want this one. There it is. And we're going for 1 Corinthians 11. Do, do, do. There we go. All right. So um, I'm going to skim it here for you. Give, give me one minute. I'll be right back. All right, all right. So I'm, I'm having to kind of do this without being able to look at it very well here. Oh, see, and we want to be here for you. There we go. Um, so uh, I'm going to read through the whole text and comment on it. I've said a lot already, so I'll try not to go off uh, too much on the on the same stuff. But um, he says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. This is very important setup for him saying that this part he's not really mad about, right? I'm actually proud of y'all because down here, um, he's going to say about the Lord's Supper practice, like, I do not praise you, right? So he sets it up, I praise you, and then I do not praise you. So this section isn't really saying do anything. It's saying learn to understand. Uh, understand, keep the traditions. Remember, man and woman are distinct. It's really the tradition that was in uh, what's coming up next. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. So there's a triune building of man into or God into creation, his image, yeah, uh, there, um, at least implied a little bit, and that's where, again, I would, I would go. Uh, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. And he just asserts that here, right? So this is why people take their hats off in church, uh, and it's something you probably still should do. It's, it's one of the few traditions that still remain, um, and it's to doff the cap. And it's because of this verse here. Uh, the idea, I think, is that uh, you want to acknowledge that you're in the presence of one greater than you, and so you will have no protection, right? You're going to take your helmet off. You're going to remove anything from your eyes because you're going to look in your king's face, right? You are subjected to him. So that, that's the idea there, I think. Um, and so, but he says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head for this is the same as if one were shaved. So this is like where you used to get ladies wearing hats. And back in the day, you can go find the pictures. They all wore hats to church. And it was because of this first. Now, so that one fell off and the guys still have to wear hats. And you can definitely see the feminist application of morality to our last 50 years in how we've approached those two verses. There's no question about it. Uh, so Anyhow, uh, so the, the hats that come off the ladies, but see, the thing is, like, you don't have to wear a hat. Like, it doesn't even say that. He said, instead, um, he says that she's supposed to have a covering, something to show that she's woman is what he's getting at. He wants her to look like a woman, and he wants the man to look like a man. So if a woman is not covered, let her hair be shorn. It's shameful for a woman to have her hair shaved, so let it be covered. Right? Basically, he's saying, don't do something that makes you look like a prostitute in Corinth. That's what's going on right there, um, because the prostitutes in Corinth would shore the hair to show that they were up for it, right? Um, and so, uh, for a man, indeed, ought not to cover his head, since here's the verse since he is the image and glory of god but woman is the glory of man i was mentioning already so woman is the, the crown of man here right uh, she's the one who bears the children but that man ought not cover his head since he is in the image of glory of god okay well, we got that with the hat taking off thing but now we're going to have this shift in a moment from covering to hair okay so but here it is why should man not have something on his head because he's the image of god okay well, does that sound like i mean is your head physical 
Yes. And it's not supposed to be covered because your physical head is the image of God. Okay, so there's where I'm like, it's not just reason. This verse implies that, yeah, um, in Jesus, and like I said, you can't answer this question without Jesus. We're in the New Testament now. You don't go back in time and have theory about without Jesus. It doesn't work that way. What are you, Plato? I mean, seriously, like live in the Bible. Uh, so to, to cover his head um, now is to, to not look like Jesus, right? Uh, to, to remove the image of man Christ has made you to be. And so why would you hide your face in shame or cover your head in his presence in the sanctuary? So, um, so there's, there's something there to that. Um, and then, uh, here you have this bit where we will understand that the glory of man and woman distinct is not uh, divided, right? So man is not from woman, but woman from man. So woman came from man and that sets the order. But verse nine, nor was man created for woman, but woman for the man. Um, this sets the order again by insisting or showing how the place of woman is as the, uh, the right and salutary um, right hand, secondary, not in the sense of value, but in the sense of order, in the sense of walking. You walk together uh, and the man leads and the woman follows so that together they'll bring about that third, right? And that the woman's always watching for the third more than the man is, he's watching the road. So, uh, nor is the man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Here's it. That's the whole point of the whole section, right? He wants you to know that the head of every man is woman. <laughs> I said that so backwards. Don't quote that out of context. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. So for this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. What does that mean? Does it mean you have to like like subject women like like Islam does? Well, I mean, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. When the fire burns, the fire's going to burn, and what comes next will be subjugation. But uh, the symbol of authority does not have to be um, subjugation. It just has to be a recognition that you're a woman. Yeah? And, and, or a woman's a woman, a man's a man. And to look like that and embrace that, not try to be something else. not try. So it's, it's how does what your body does show forth who you are, or are you in rebellion against your own body um, because of the angels? Oh my, there's so much in that verse. You know, there's good and bad ones, you know. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman. Here's what I was saying, like we're together though, right? Uh, Nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, so even man comes through woman, but all things are from God. And here's where you put the judge among yourselves. So you're not allowed to judge about whether or not a woman needs to look like a woman uh, and whether or not a man is head of woman in Christ and Christ is head of man in God. But then from there, judge what you look like for yourselves as a group. This is plural. This is local. Um, oh, you know, is it proper to have your head uncovered? You know, what should the hair look like? Yada, yada, yada. Um, if anyone wants to be contentious, like this is not a custom. This is not a tradition. The tradition is next where I give you instructions that you've not been doing and you better do them right because it's the Lord's Supper. And if you mess it up, you're going to end up destroying everything. Uh, and that's what, you know, Without Flesh, my book is about uh, recovering that theology for uh, the present age. Because certainly, uh, without question, evangelical world Christianity... I mean, you think it's going bad. You know why? You why Rome's kicking your butt out there? Because they got Jesus in the supper and you don't. And as, though, as bad as Rome is, as Babylonian captivity as it is, it's the Antichrist sitting at the top of that whole thing and we should agree about that. Nonetheless, the sacramental presence, the mystical union of Jesus, it's a physical reality and you're starving yourselves. You're starving yourselves. My book, Without Flesh, it's not thick. I know you don't read, but it's, you know, you could. You could try. It'd help. So, so, <laughs> so back on this then, um, and let's see, let's go back to your, uh, try to go back to your question then. So, you know, uh, d- does God have a physical form? Does the image of God have a physical form? Well, man, now, and uh, Jesus specifically, and to try to conceive of God outside of his revelation of himself is idolatry. So why would you go back and try to conceive of Jesus differently than has he has now been revealed, especially when you know back then it was a cloudy mirror and now it's clear. It's been washed off. It's clean, right? We're, it, was, it was the underworld and now we're up on the light. 
No, it was the shadow uh, darkly glimmering or whatever, you know, it, it was the glimmering before dawn and now dawn has come. Whatever you want to apply to illumination and enlightenment, the reality is you can't go back and ask this question without Jesus. Yeah? You really can't. And then, so when we apply it then to what Paul says of us in 1 Corinthians 11, I think I think I may make it pretty clear um, that the text is about showing forth your manhood or womanhood as redeemed in Christ. Uh, and that we should all be striving or wanting that within our families. So then let me give my apologetic for why I have long hair. Because I live in a world where the women don't think it's a mark. That's why. And if they don't want the glory, I'll take it. <laughs> and that's what guys are doing. You don't even know it, but that's what all those ponytails or poptails or pigtails or top knots or whatever we call them. That's all about man being like, you don't want the glory, I'll take it. It really is. It's peacock. It's all kinds of peacock. Yeah, and, and, and ladies, I mean, you're supposed to peacock. You really are. You're not supposed to make us lust after you, but you're given for us to smile upon you. And your beauty is to enlighten us with your smile and your, your gestures and your life and your friendship and all these things, right? So flowers, right? And flowers with wisdom and kindness and charity for their children. And so, you know, it, uh, if, you re- if you reject that role, uh, then the man goes peacock on you. Uh, it, I, I, think that's, I think that's a good diagnosis of this. And so, so I'm, I'm just grabbing what the world is giving and saying, well, if that's what it is, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I had long hair down to here until I was 21, I think. And, uh, that's about the time I read this verse the first time I didn't cut it immediately. I waited a week and I prayed, I prayed a lot about it and then I cut it and it was amazing. So I was a teacher at a Lutheran school and I cut it. You know what I got? I got persecuted. You know who by the teaching staff really something. Really? But the Bible says, and they're like, no, it doesn't mean that. I'm just like, no, I think they're kind of right, but the way they went about it wasn't so right. And it ended up being really a strange thing. I was like, why does nobody care what the Bible says? I don't want to be at this school anymore. This is weird. Uh, so I won't tell you where. The um, Not this time. I've said it before. Hi, yeah, 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 yeah. It'll come back to me. Uh, let's see here. Bible school. Da-da-da. Teaching. Weird. Don't remember. Don't remember. So back to image of God. Oh, hair. Hair was long. Cut it then. There we go. Um, and so, you know, I started growing it long again because my son wanted to grow his hair long. And initially I was like, oh, man, like now I got to deal with that, um, you know, theology wise and everything. And, and, and you know, it's probably fine, though. And, you know, it's, women don't care anyway these days, you know. So so like, I mean, you, a lot of ladies care about what you look like. No, don't get me wrong. Um, but like you don't have like a shared culture. You really don't. Your only shared culture is like you're supposed to vote for Biden. And if you don't, you're not a woman. Right. And abortion. And if you don't, you're not a woman like that's that's women's shared culture today. So don't tell me you have a shared culture uh, just because you happen to spend a lot of money on your hair. Uh, <laughs> uh, the society uh, does not understand the glory and value of woman, which is not her hair. Her hair is there to make her beautiful as she cares for her children right? and just distinguish her uh, from others for the sake of her children, that they might see her and recognize her. Right. And in a fallen world, is it always great? No, it's not always great. Uh, but um. My hair, then, uh, following my son, I was like, well, if my son's going to grow his long hair, uh, grow his hair long, then I'm not going to let him do it alone. Uh, I'm going to go with him, and then, you know, when he wants to cut it, because he probably won't do it, and I'll cut mine. And so we, we started doing that, and I, I followed him, really. He was, uh, he was a couple weeks ahead of me, and he was looking really cool and scruffy. Um, and, uh, and then he cut it. He cut it. He, he got tired of dealing with it, and, um, and he cut it. And so I just kept going. And uh, through this last year, I mean, this really ties into a lot of my other stuff with CPTSD. So I, you know, I don't want to really get into that today necessarily, but, you know, figuring out um, why I am what I am 
the way that a lot of normal people, I think, would do it, maybe in their 20s, maybe in their teens, um, that's been something that uh, it was it was really forced on me again through the remembering of various childhood traumas and, and you know, significant ones. Um, and so uh, part of that then for me personally has been learning to not care so much about appearing to have it all together. And so while it probably wasn't exactly like groundbreaking for me to have a top knot or to decide I'll start wearing one, like for me, it was, uh, that that's like, I'm not usually that comfortable standing out. Uh, I don't like to stand out or at least I didn't. Um, and so, uh, you know, now I'm carrying a crucifix around, right? Trying to, trying to get that to be the next level of it's okay. Then no one's watching anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, everyone's busy staring at their little gods in their hands. Um, so, uh, so for me, it's been sort of an experiment and a discipline of, uh, can I do it? Uh, can I do it in a way that looks good and fits into the society? Uh, can I do it in a way that postures and shows uh, a predatory positioning in my own heart for my own sake? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that ordeal, um, not unlike a Nazaretic vow, and I will not in any way claim it to be a Nazaretic vow. Uh, but the point of the Nazaretic vow was to commit yourself to, uh, something. It, it was whatever you thought was important and you were not going to cut your hair until that had been achieved and until you had done what you were going to do. And, uh, that idea, um, as you know, symbolically, um, I'll, I'll take that on. I mean, definitely, uh, allowing the hair to grow is a recognition that I could tell you what first Corinthians 11 means. No one's listening. <laughs> uh, and so like at a certain point when, uh, the faith has grown so cold, when the churches are doing so weakly as a whole, as a whole, uh, it's like, you know, yeah, we should, we should rend our garments. Does it shame a man to have long hair? What's that to me? <laughs> Look where I live, the land of shame. So, um, you know, it's, it's not all glory from where I'm sitting, uh, but it is a symbol, definitely for me. And whether I cut it someday, I don't know. I don't know. What I like about the top knot, though, you can put it up in a hat. And like, you can look like you got short hair. It's kind of cool. I bet you got to cut the, you got to do like the side thing. I'm going to show you now. I need, I need a haircut to like edge this thing off a bit. But anyway, so that's my, my justification for why I have not cut my hair a second time um, and have let it grow long. And so perhaps on the day of judgment, you'll be able to scorn me as I'm sent into hell for long hair. But I, I really don't think that's where it's at. Um, I think it's a little more about knowing what message you're communicating to who, right? And I would contest it right now. This hair sends the message that I'm a man more than a lot of other things do. Isn't that weird? That's how profane and backwards upside down we are. Yeah, yeah. What a place. What a place. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the bit in your question about evening and morning. And so I think your idea here is that like there is light and darkness that exists. So there's evening and morning before God sets sun, moon, stars into the sky over the land, right? And so... God is able to experience evening and morning before sun, moon, stars. And so you're wondering, like, does he do that from a bodily perspective? Is that the question? I mean, no, it would be the answer um, in the sense of like, you know, the spirits hovering over the waters and making things happen. The sun is the word creating as it happens. And the father is the one begetting the sun, right? Siring the sun, um, sending forth, speaking the word. Uh, and, um, I, I, 
to try to like imagine the imminent Trinity's experiential existence of that uh, from the phrase image of God is just going to break your head. So this is a little more of that, like, you remember that picture from earlier about, you know, standing under the, under the tree rather than trying to look at the, the sun, the earth going around the sun. Uh, it's important for you to realize how simple your God is. The Trinity is only complex because we're trying to think through it. It's not complex. Um, we're not built to be God by ourselves in our own minds. And so to try to perceive him, well, this is again to not believe he is who he is. Uh, even the man Jesus, right? Um, to try to see him differently than he's given himself to be seen now is to not believe he is who he is. And so that's a threat in my mind, right? That's something we want to be wary of. Uh, that the temptation is always to see God other than he is. That's what the devil did. You know, did God really say? Is he not something else than what he says he is? And so, you know, it's uh, you're right in wanting to understand that the fullness of the image of God comes to bear in the one man, Jesus Christ, and his physical brow marked with thorns for all eternity. Absolutely. What about before? No, no, no. There's no before. Let me try this. This is kind of a left turn, but let, let me try this on here. We'll, we'll go back to um, get this guy out of here. Um, ugh, the one thing about the long hair is if I don't put on any spray, it definitely falls on my face. Um, oh, now I'm going to forget what I was just doing. It'll come back to me. I'm trying to say that recently a lot. Um, as opposed to what I find happening when I like I forget something. It's a habit. It's a really bad habit. Is that I get mad at myself that I forgot. And so as a result, that takes me further away from the idea. <laughs> right? Because you're too busy like, man, oh, how could I forget? And I realized that was a that was a habit that I didn't really choose to pick up. It was just a habit that I I, I was I inherited. Um and learning to distill that habit uh, to to break it down to its constituent parts, uh, to see the emotive reason for the habit. Um, uh, that's, that's tough work, right? That's psychology. And that's why it's valuable to have your own inner life, uh, to ponder what you're doing, uh, to write down what you're doing and, and think about it again later and assess it. So, so in that, you know, I, I realized how, you know, hard on myself I am for having a, a moment of lapsed thought. Uh, where in, you know, the more I'm letting myself have them and like not yell at myself for it, uh, the more I notice how everyone's got them all the time. It's kind of nuts how many people and how often we, we have that happen. And I just was, I ignored that um, for this need to like, I don't know, um, to win, I guess, maybe. Uh, but whew, in any case, um, with that uh, kind of recognition of the, the immediate turn of self-hate that comes with the lost thought, uh, the phrase that I've latched onto is it'll come back to me, which is nice because it's from Ecclesiastes. As uh, uh, in, you, you can look it up, bread on the water and all that. But it's uh, it's happened almost every time, right? So the, this is so cool. Like like you have a lost thought, you have a moment, you know, you forget what you're saying. It'll come back to me, and wait, and it will. 
It will. Although what, what I'm trying to do over here has not. It had to do with that last question. And so I'm going to pull that question up again. It has to do with evening and morning. It has to do with trusting God. It has to do with how simple your God is, right? Um, and that what, what we're wanting you to find uh, in this show, in Mad Christian Mondays, in A Brief History of Power, in uh, Mad Christian Discord, all the different things we do uh, to try to expand the network of Jesus' influence in your life uh, is so you would know how simply he loves you. How desperately, simply, concertedly, with all the eternal focus, he designs both you and your salvation. How as the God who saves, the saving God, this is not just who he is one day long ago on Golgotha. That's who he is every day, all day, every morning, every night, every noon. This is why his word to you about your life to be your words about your life delivered in the Psalter and Psalms are the words that are best to walk with as you go upon the road, whether it's in a lightning vehicle or not, right? Uh, you walk with the words, scrawl them upon the doors to your gates, yeah? Spittle or no, uh, put, paint them wherever you can, see them, read them, hear them, believe them. Uh, if we are not going to praise God in our homes, why would we think our attendance on Sunday morning would have any bearing on our spirits other than to barely keep us hanging on. So if that's where you feel like you are, like you're barely hanging on, uh, let me tell you, you have not discovered the Psalms yet, have you? And if you have, and you're barely hanging on, and you're praying the Psalms every day, you go ahead and write me. You go ahead and write me. But otherwise, I mean, I won't hear it. <laughs> I won't hear it anymore. You know, we're all sitting here in these corners, and... um if you started this, you know what I'm talking about too, right? And you know how like, well, it could be better still. I need to grow a lot. But like, you know, you know the meat, yeah, uh, the honey, you know it. And it is, it is the word of Jesus anointing on you. That's your baptism. Hello, put it all together. That's your baptism. Jesus anointing upon you, christening you one of his own heavenly host, not an angel, Oh, but a Lord over the coming age. Oh, it's so good, and we just don't believe it. And I'm going to go get in the car, drive to the shopping market, and get back in the dystopic apathy. Why? Why? Now, it's hard, right? How do you remember? How do you walk away from the mirror and not forget who you are? Uh, how do you hold your identity over and against the white noise? I started the show with this a little bit. I'll come right back to it. Then it's the crucifix is the best way to do it. No question. Hands down. Bigger and more annoying, the better, because you can't forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, like on the chest, it's easy to forget about. It's harder to forget about it when it's right in your eyes. And, and this is the point then. As often as you want to remember where you are, that is, are you in the dystopic Disneyland that the people off Epstein's Island are completely in control of and it's all going to go well for them? Or are you the planet that Jesus walked on in which this Pinocchio's island is about to sink into the sea, but you've got an ark coming. You don't even know where it's coming from. You just know Jesus is the source. All right, tell me which one you'd rather walk. Tell me how this is bad news. Tell me how this is not like the most epic time you could ever live in with the greatest of weapons right at your fingertips. So simple that they can't even conceive of taking it away from you because they're trying to take ARs right now. As if the ARs in this country could defend us against the military. Goodness gracious. That's a different topic. Again, the weapon, the weapon in your hand. A wizard who doesn't pick up his spell book is a person to be pitied. 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 Don't be the fool. Pity the pool. 
at the pool. Pity the fool. We'll be right back. All right. This is still the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Oh, my goodness here. Oh, my goodness. He is risen. You are paid for. He won't be long now. And uh, that makes you immortal. No, I got out of order. He is risen. You're paid for. That makes you immortal now. And he won't be long anyway. Just for these last few minutes, we're going to get into a little bit of Iniquex. I don't know if I'm ready for Iniquex yet. I've been thinking about Iniquex for quite some time. But, um, I don't know, it makes me nervous. Thinking outside the box, trying to find an understanding, trying to lay the principles for, what, the crazy world I live in, in which it's more and more evident to me that the modern experiment is an attempt to live without belief that there are unseen things. Which is kind of crazy, given how like COVID's basically an unseen thing. No matter how much people say they can see it and look at it under a microscope, most of us never have that experience. It is a, it is an unseen thing. I'm not saying that it's a lie. I'm saying that if it were a lie, how would you personally know? And you say, well, someone told me this and that. I say, okay, well, that's interesting. So someone told you, huh? Huh? Someone tells me lots of stuff all the time. Do I believe all of it? I can't. Uh, why? Well, because the world runs on iniquens, iniquex. Right? There, there are things that are unaccounted for. The things you can't see, things you can't pick up on. The sooner you know that, the better. And this goes pretty deep. But um, let's just, just kind of start with this idea from Brief History of Power that Coons and I have been talking about. Right? And this is it's from way, way back. It's part of why we're doing the show. It's come up again recently. I don't know if it's come up in the episodes that are out. But these for next episodes on homeschool that are coming up, that information is formation. This is the first law of unequal exchange, inequex, unequal exchange. I should have said that earlier. The world runs on unequal exchange. There is an unseen thing, right? Einstein says uh, for every action, there is an equal but opposite reaction, and we can measure that. Okay, that's all seen, buddy. You're missing something, right? He he had a reason. He uh, died in ignominy. Do you know this? He wasn't famous when he died. No, no, no. he's just like a marketing tool now. Uh, but he died in ignominy, uh, never really completing his equations because he didn't think it was, and never really coming up with anything that really gave anyone reason to, to shout and cheer about him again. Um, kind of a strange bit there, right? So his equation equals MC squared is about equal but opposite reactions observable in the present reality as what? Space time, right? Uh, so what I'm suggesting is that that's just dead wrong. <laughs> it's just dead wrong. Uh, because you can't you can't have an equal but opposite reaction in a physical reality without the unseen reality having an unequal and not opposite but distinct reaction and that's that's the science we've been missing and i'm not claiming to be the scientist to find it i'm suggesting as a philosophy this is a major turning point major major turning point in how you fight back against the devil's lies I, I'm, I'm not kidding you walk out you get in your lightning vehicle and you drive to the superstore with your god in hand you talk to your god when you ever need any answers how do you pull your head out of that reality you start to realize there's an unseen reality going on around you the entire time. Angels, demons, wheels within wheels, and whatnot. What are you supposed to do about it? Pray the Psalms. I tell you, pray the Psalms. <laughs> supposed to pray the Psalms. Uh, learn them. Memorize them. Sing an alleluia. Like literally say it. Alleluia. Say it out loud. Amen. You know, be a body that worships Jesus all the time. The spirit is not located on a mountain in Jerusalem. He certainly comes to you by word and sacrament to enter into you that he might come out again is the great confession. Prayer, praise, give thanks, right? So that's supposed to happen, right? Well, you can't make it happen, but also you can't have it happen without disciplining yourself to make it happen, especially when they got you chained to spirit-sucking machines. Spirit-sucking machines that run on inequex, inequality, an unequal exchange. You want to hear about an unequal exchange on the spirit machines? Okay, here's an unequal exchange. I've said this elsewhere, but it really, it really, really, really makes sense. It makes sense. If I write an email to my wife, it makes me tired. 
Makes her tired too to open it. She never sees it again. If I write a letter to my wife, it makes me feel good. Makes her feel good. She saves it. She sees it again. Makes us both feel good later. The spirit sucking machines run on an equal exchange. You're losing something you don't even realize. You're getting something, to be sure. To be sure. Here's a pretty apple. <laughs> Take a bite. You're getting something, to be sure. But but what are you getting? And what are you getting that you don't know you're getting? Nah. And it has a lot to do with trust. It has a lot to do with the fact that information is formation. That is the first law of inequivalent exchange. Information is not neutral. Not to a man. Not to a woman, not to a child especially. Information is not neutral. Those who look at them become like them. Right? We are, we are clay getting ready for the mold. And the mold is power. And But for the power of the gospel, right? But for the impact of Jesus Christ, all of us would be lost. Now we are to be wise unto this. To understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that information forms him from the start. It's what he's made to be. But that means now that bad information still forms you in ways you cannot see. Does this mean you need to be a Pharisee with line upon line and precept upon precept? Does anybody ever make a mistake ever? No. No, 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 no. It simply means that you understand information is formation. And then especially, rather than try to weed out every possible thing that could go wrong when the spigot's open, you turn the spigot off. When you find out there's a lie machine somewhere just spitting lies at you, you stop listening to the lie machine. It's that simple. It's that easy, right? Information is formation. Then you start to understand that everything you see around you all day is making you who you are. And if you don't like who you are and you're not going to change what's going on around you all day, then you're going to continue being who you are and not liking it. Do you want to feel more like a Christian? Put some word of God on your wall. Read it. Write it down from the Bible into a book. Then write it on it later the next day. Take a note. Reconsider. Level it up. Right? Invest your heart, your mind, your breath, and your body into that thing which Jesus has said irrevocably shall outlast the fires of hell and the end of this dying awful age. So be formed by the information that is the holy word of Jesus Christ, the God who is the God of the Bible. Yeah? But then realize that any information that is not from him, while possibly true, is not necessarily going to equivalently support your walk in this life. Does this mean live in ignorance? No, it means learn how to discern. Learn how to discern. And the first step of discernment is to realize that with information being formation, there are things you cannot see that are going on. All around you. Oh, yeah. oh my, oh my. Oh, like that. Oh, like a big story running everything. Oh my goodness. I don't even know what that means. The second law. I'm not, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Oh, I'm not ready. There's no predictive reality. No future or past, only present. All other things no longer present are not. Oh, I love this one though. That's actually what I wanted. I really wanted to talk about this. This, this is really good. All right. So, so what do I mean by that? Do I mean that God doesn't prophesy what's going to happen? It's tears aren't in his bottle. It's not written in his book. No, no, no. I don't mean any of that. What I mean is that from your experience as a human being, like what you get to see is not that. You don't get to see the grand story of all things working together. You get to believe in that, but you don't get to see that. And so for your experience, so far as your body is concerned, there is no predictive reality. You don't have a past or a future that you experience. You only experience the present. Everything else is a story. It's a story your body tells you or somebody else's body tells you, but they're all stories. 
The only thing that's not a story is where you are right now, today. Today is not a story. Today is real. Huh? But the attempt to like see tomorrow and plan my life and have all of these things on my bucket list, well, this is to believe that tomorrow's coming, which is a Christian a good discipline would be to remember it might not. And that this would be just about the best thing that could happen to you. Just about the best thing that could happen to you. Huh? So so remembering that, right? And then remembering that from that, you know, the best thing that could happen to you is your past is now going to burn. Uh, the sin which has been buried in Christ no longer will cling to your flesh and you'll be raised up to an everlasting reality. I mean, that's pretty awesome. So it's not, you know, it's not that there's no future like that coming. The point is in the present moment, that future is not here. It's a story about the future. And everything about your past, aside from being the physical results of it, which is what your body is, your body is the physical results of your past. Aside from that, the past isn't here. It's a story. It's a memory. It's an idea. Is that written into your head? Yeah. But does it, um, does it make today different than uh, tomorrow? No. Today is just today. Does it make, I should say it differently. Does it make today subject to it? No, it does not. And this is, again, the impact of Jesus Christ. Today is not subject to yesterday ever. His mercies are new every morning. Baptismal regeneration and baptismal salvation, which are taught throughout the scriptures, and if you want to argue about it, go to the text first to stop arguing about it about as if it's about reason. You're always talking with your heads, and you're never talking with the text. Um, baptismal regeneration is not about once saved, always saved, at the font, now never feed them, and do whatever you want the rest of your life. Baptismal regeneration is about being cloaked with the shield of faith and being able to exercise that faith with the certainty that God is behind you, for you, and certainly not against you, but against your enemies so that it is they who will stumble and fall. Yeah. And in that, then what matters is not where you were yesterday. What matters not is where you're going tomorrow. What matters is who are you standing near enough to right now to be a human to? Yeah. What is your reality right now that needs attending to? And it's not, I mean, who, I mean, that can be everything from the angels who could hear you confess the Psalms to the trees who can, I don't know what they can hear you do, but they certainly like it when you touch them. Humans like to touch them. And we know from science that, that like touching trees is good for you. There's a whole movement in Japan to go touch trees because it's like really good for you. So like, like what you do with your body isn't just always like, okay, go talk to my neighbor about Jesus and get him to come to church. Like, no, pray for that. Pray for that. Say, dear Jesus, may it come out of my mouth someday for their sake and may it be of benefit to them right and then and then go do what your body can do now it's hard to do that while also worshiping other gods right if you got to spend time worshiping other gods every day it's going to take away from your ability to get your hands and do whatever your life's about with the word of god being your lamp and your guide you're going to be spending a lot of time trying to manage a bunch of other information that's going to be forming you and you're going to be trying to have it not form you because it's really powerful and overwhelming and so you're just not going to be able to get you know real deep into what it means to be present as opposed to living in the past and future. And I'm not promising you any kind of like voodoo guru level of always clear light mind, like water nonsense. I'm just talking about knowing that your decisions and your breath right now are where you are and not where the latest story is. Um, I, I think that's a, it's a hard one to grasp, you know, it's a hard one to grasp when all the noise is barreling, barreling, barreling down on you, uh, saying, believe this, don't believe that, listen to me, don't listen to them, give money here, uh, vote this way, don't eat this, buy that, save now, do more. Um, 
Have you prayed the Psalms? <laughs> you know, have you prayed the Psalms? Oh, goodness. Here, here we'll fix this. We'll fix this. Let's see here. Dude, dude, dude. Something like that, maybe. Almost, almost. We're at the end of the show here anyway. Hey, all y'all. If you like what I do, you want to keep this thing going, you know, Patreon's the way to do it for sure. Uh, Patreon, Refisk, go there, sign up. A buck twenty-five a week makes five bucks a month for me, as according to the subscription plan we got there. You can also do a little more, which helps a lot. It helps make all this kind of oh, oh, oh we can even share it again. Oh yes, um, makes all this happen. I mean, I can talk about a little bit what's going on here. Um, uh, I'm a pastor locally, right? So I do my job. Uh, but part of doing the show, Mad Christianity, it's always been part of the plan here, part of growing the community here, part of believing that this is a place where people will value and want to move because it's one of the places where the the, the fire's going to go over, God willing, and our ark's going to do right well on that hill over there. Uh, talk to me about it if you want to know. But part of that then is like putting my money where my mouth is in all of these um Things like the brief history of power, you know, rediscovering uh, physicality, uh, working with your land as part of who you are and your inheritance in preparation for the life of the world to come, realizing that being at ease and having everyone else do stuff for you is really bad for your soul, um, that suffering is is good for the soul and, and good for Christianity, not necessarily suffering like, like oppression suffering, although affliction has to come in order for us to repent if we won't repent. But once we've repented, we repent into a life in which we are not at ease, but we work because work is good. Even though the thorns are there, we know we're redeemed by the guy who wore the thorns on his crown. So, so what am I doing? Um, you can see, uh, it's like over here now, down there, uh, I built a duck house. That's what that is. That's me working on a duck house. Um, it is, it's been quite the ordeal. If you've heard us talk about it elsewhere, you know, we had some ducks and then there was a fox and then now we have some more ducks and, uh, my first duck house, uh, well, this is the second duck house. (laughs) So like, uh, but it's been, it's been really good for me as like a learning curve. I remember uh, speaking with uh, uh, Jason Lane. He's a professor at Concordia University in in Mequon, Wisconsin. Uh, And he was talking about how he wanted to and planned to, and I don't know how he's moved forward on this or not, um, but he he wanted to build his own house. You know, it's sort of the same movement, same kind of thinking, realizing that part of being a man is own space. Part of own space is uh, making it your own. And, and what more could you do to make a space your own than to build your own house with your own hands? Now, he's not talking about paying someone to do it, right? He's, he's on a teacher's salary. Uh, he's talking about like, a, you know, working with his hands. So I, as I was working on the duck house, it, it, it hit me more and more how much of of it as a building project was fulfilling what had to be the itch uh, that Jason was talking about, uh, which is to realize that. Um, yeah, I got more than thumbs. I got more than thumbs. Like for many years, all I used was, was these thumbs. And then I guess I would do this. I would cast magic spells. <laughs> um, and so now I'm doing all sorts of other stuff and it's, you know, it's, it's fun to watch how the learning curve goes. Certainly the, the ge- if you're into geometry at all, or like uh, spatial thinking, put it that way. Problem solving, spatial thinking. You like video games because of the problem solving? Well, build something. <laughs> you know, you're going to find all sorts of like mini games going on, including trips to stores and things for a different screw and all that. It's been it's been real good. So you see me sharing a little bit of that, but you also got you know my open my open gate. My gate is open to you on Saturday mornings from nine to eleven, and we got people coming to watch right here next week. So you're always invited to swing by while we're open in the summer, at least, uh, and and watch the show. At some point, we might have this open in the winter too. Um, uh, we'll see one day at a time, right? Because that's the future. I'm trying to get away from that. Forget the future storytelling but if you're going to be in the rockford area on saturday feel free to come by and watch in fact there goes one viewer now she's related to me so it only kind of half counts but that's okay hello viewer of my show that's great i'm going to send all this to my mom later so she can like it and things so anyway um and uh yeah so like uh, way there in the back i'll just 
way over there is like my, I built that shelf. I was really happy about that. And there's all the wood. I've been like, I bought some of it too much probably, but most of it's been like crates and things I'm finding. There's an old bed and whatnot. Um, and so just being able to like, uh, attempt to teach myself a trade, right. Uh, that's just been glorious. So young man, if you can get someone to teach you a trade, you probably should. Um, you'll get all this level up early and not have to worry about when you're 40. <laughs> uh, but if you haven't done it yet, I mean, it's, I can't go to school to be a woodworker, right? That ain't going to happen, but I can, I can do this, right? I can push on this edge, uh, and, and get a little more out of it. So anyhow, um, trying to build this up and make it, make it fun. We'll see how it changes over the coming weeks and whatnot. Um, of course this all came out of Patreon, right? Patreon has enabled me to take a few more steps on this. The, the beautiful saw you see over there definitely would not have been purchased, uh, without that. And, uh, and whatnot. So a uh, Patreon Riffisk uh, support me there and, or, um, there are other ways to contact through riffist.com slash contact. If you have, uh, problems with Patreon particularly, uh, and so forth. Okay. See what else did I hit? Uh, Mad Christian Mondays. We did it. Riffist power. We did it. Mad Christian Discord. We did it. Oh, goodness gracious, gracious, gracious. Someday, someday, I think um, I will stop worrying about it. But until that day comes, I'm going to stick with trying not to wallow in the muck with all those who have no hope and increasingly lift up my head as I see the day approaching. I invite you to do that right there with me. Since he has risen, you are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He's not going to be long anyway. The water... (laughs) The water washes you in Jesus Christ. The food makes you to live everlastingly. And that is Christianity. Honestly, she joined us and continue to rock on. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? 